As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. Hello. And I am Sabrina. And this is an Encounters episode and we are video recording it. So if you are a Patreon donor, you will be able to see the first 20 minutes or so, the first two stories we usually record for you. You'll get to see a firsthand look into our recording setup where, Corinne, your closet is scarily. It's not closing. Listen, it's stuck. So- something is keeping it stuck. Probably a ghost's foot. Okay. So they can. I'm just scared. There's like truly just a little sliver crack open in the closet for our listeners. Would it help if I just fully opened it and everyone Maybe. Actually, maybe. That's better because. I was nervous that, like, I would see an eyeball peeking out of just the sliver. This scares me. I'm sorry. Everyone else is going to have to do it. Okay, so you do what you want to do. Being creepy. I got to do what I want to do. You do you. Oh, there. It closed. Because there's... What the heck happened before? You were using the inside door. I don't know. 
I don't know either. Well, we, we figured it okay. out. Okay. Look at us problem solving together. Uh, as we do. <laughs> but we're here. But we are here mm-hmm. because of you. Of all of you folks. Of you freaky people. You haunted ass people. <laughs> oh my God. It's actually wild to think about how many people have experiences. Oh. Like we've been doing this podcast for over four years. We have so many emails. And then we do campfire stories on Spotify's Green Room app every Tuesday. And I think I had some nervousness being like, are people going to come and have experiences? And there are plenty. Oh. Like it, there's not enough room or time for the amount of experiences people have. It's No. It is it is bewildering that there are still people out there who don't believe in the paranormal, just given how many we have seen. Like, how many stories we've read, how many people have submitted stories to us, like – how do their family members not believe or how do their extended family members or friends not believe if they have these stories? Yeah. And I think from your experience and my experience, Brynn, I'm going to talk for you yeah, for please. a minute. I think because of our position and doing this podcast and people knowing we do this, like I even experience it at work or just like any party that I'm at. People will come up and start talking oh, yeah. ghost stories and they'll be like, well, I've never experienced anything paranormal, but this one thing did happen. And then they'll talk a bit about a ghost story, but they don't want to label yeah. it as that. So I am I am confident that in any room you are in, at least 50% of the population in that room has a ghost story. I agree. Also, remember at, our, at my wedding, I almost said our wedding, it was our <laughs> anniversary <laughs> at mine and Nick's wedding. My cousin is like very he, – he likes to stand his ground and argue about the fact that ghosts don't exist or he wants to be convinced. So I basically took Corinne and brought her to my cousin Jason and said, Jason, this is Corinne. Corinne, convince him. But you didn't. And No, but I also feel like I was on the way because I think he was expecting me to take the stance of like, how do you not mm-hmm. believe? Here's all this. And I was just like, you don't have to believe in anything. Like it'll happen. Things happen. These are my experiences. These are other people's experiences. Maybe one day you'll experience it. And if you do, I'm happy to make sense of it with yeah, you. Yeah, you and did like, oh, wish it upon him. Okay. Yeah. And then I did tell him if I die, I will haunt him. <laughs> so maybe maybe the conversation ended a little more aggressive than, than the beginning. But that is exactly part. what I wanted to happen. So <laughs> this is great. And When he didn't come around, I snapped. I'll haunt you. <laughs> so good. I love it. Oh, well, we also love your stories. So Corinne, do you want to start us off? Oh, wow. I'm Actually, no, really wait. prepared for you. I, I think, think you I do go. start. Okay. And I'm really excited because this is interactive. So if you're watching the video, there are some photos I will share on my screen with you and you'll see. And Whoa. I'm, we're screen sharing now? This is such an upgrade. I know. We're getting fancy. Okay. This story is from our listener, Jimmy. And it's two stories. But the second one is what I'm like. I mean, I'm excited about both. I'll just start it. I'll just stop. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> Hello, your ghoulishnesses. I've been listening to your show for a few weeks now, and I love it. I love hearing your listener stories. I have a couple for your consideration. This first story is my own encounter, and the second story belongs to a friend at work. So this is called Haunted London Office. So I'm a designer living in London, and I used to freelance in and around the capital for various brand agencies. I was booked for a contract sketching up a secretive brand identity pitch for the London 2012 Olympics. This particular gig was for an agency based in the Strand. And a bit of context about the Strand, it is a major street in the city of Westminster. The street was popular with the British upper classes between the 12th and 17th centuries, with historically important mansions being built between the Strand and the river. So the Strand pretty much is an old word for by the river. 
The agency was on a floor of a large building between the Penguin Publishers and the Savoy. Although the design of the studio was a contemporary, bright white walled space, the old fabric of the building still remained in places with old polished oak railings and beautiful Victorian tiles. Very characteristic spaces and at the time I wondered what the building's original use was with its quirky rooms. I was asked to work the weekend to meet a deadline, and I was shown a small studio that I hadn't seen before, which was below the main office where I could work in secret. Straight away, the space felt claustrophobic and stuffy. I was completely alone, so I got on with the work and let myself out at night. No spooky stuff, but then I had to go back in on Sunday. I got to work the next day really late. I got in around the afternoon. It was typical British weather, overcast, drizzly, and dark. And when I got there, the entire building was empty. I walked through the main studio, and I couldn't help feeling that there was a creepy atmosphere. This large office with empty chairs and desks with people's abandoned possessions strewn all about. I made my way down an old stairway that led to the small windowless office and began sketching. I was there only about half an hour, and then I started to hear some laughing. I looked towards the windowless door, and the laughing stopped, so I carried on sketching. A few minutes later, I heard people talking again, and I could hear clinking of glasses. Someone was having a party next door, so I thought to myself that I'd go out (laughs) later and see if I could swipe some drinks. After a while, I could hear a piano playing and the sound of dancing. It sounded more like the sort of party you would imagine at the Savoy next door. It seemed an ideal time for some hair of the dog, so I got up and swiped my key card that let me out through the corridor towards the party. As I swiped my door card, I could hear the sounds of the party getting louder, and I started to feel a bit apprehensive as I wouldn't know anyone, but I was like, you know what, a few drinks and it should be all right. As soon as I pulled the doors open, the sound of the party immediately stopped. It is hard to describe the chill that fell over me. I stood frozen with disbelief. I was totally convinced that I was going to be walking into a room full of people, only to find an empty hall full of old chairs and desks with a computer server blinking in a corner with wires running all over the floor. I immediately had the feeling I was totally alone in a huge spooky building like the Stanley Hotel in The Shining. So I literally ran out of the office. Looking back now, remembering myself running out of the office seems totally crazy. On Monday, I reluctantly returned to the office, and while I was describing my story to my buddy Nick, a girl overheard us and excitedly said, You heard the guests! I told her what happened, and she said, Oh yeah, that room is haunted. No one will rent it. Do you know why? Obviously, I didn't, so she continued and said, Well, this building used to be a big hotel, and they had a huge party there. The guests were really posh, but it was their last party in London because the next day they left for South Hampton, and they were all passengers on the Titanic. <gasps> oh my god, my whole body! What? Well, there you go. I still get the chills when I think about opening these doors and the sound cutting off. Too freaky. Holy The next holy. story. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is the one that we'll have a photo and we'll show it at the end. And okay. also, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I just won't say anything. Okay. My next. <laughs> it's hard not to preface this. Stuff I know. It say your thoughts ahead because I just get so excited. Okay, right. The next story belongs to an old coworker. We were talking about how tempting it would be to call in sick for a whole week and sit at home watching films. She said her friend was off work with stress because of a recent holiday incident and had been doing just that. Obviously, I had to ask what had happened to her friend, and here's the story. Her friend had been on a hen weekend and an all-girls glamping trip to Loch Eck in the Scottish Highlands. 
They took a group selfie by the lock and then returned to the hotel. When they looked at the picture, clearly in the bottom left corner, you can see a little boy. Apparently a boy in a blue jacket had drowned in the lake years back, and that day he decided to do a photobomb. They all freaked and left for home immediately. Her friend had to take time off work because this had made her so upset. Below is the picture she showed me on her iPhone. The story eventually hit the British papers, so real or fake, I don't know, but my friend showed me this picture way before it hit the news. Well, that's all for now, ladies. Keep up the good work and much love, Jimmy. And I'm going to screen share this so everyone can see it. What? Yeah. That literally looks like a full-ass person. Yeah. And do you remember seeing this photo? It was like all over, I'm pretty sure the sun posted about it. And it was all over the place. But to see this story when Jimmy sent this and I clicked on it and the fact that he had been shown the photo ages before it was on. Holy crap. So he knows he knows the girl who or the woman who was there. He worked with someone's friend who went. This is wild. Yeah. I remember seeing this and being like, that is the crispest photo. It reminds me of the photo that we night fishing the night fishing the one. Ghost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's that clear it's so clear i'm zooming in but also i like somehow get the heebie like i almost feel like it's wrong of me to zoom in and examine this child to like drown and it's just still clearly there this is such a young boy too he's like he's like crouching he's he's basically crawling like he's yeah so he's tiny. so small he's wearing a blue jacket as the story went He's looking at them, too, like directly at them. I really wonder what this boy's family thinks of the photo. I know. I'm sure they had to see it, right? It was all over the place. Someone must – it must have been like – I can't even imagine. So upsetting. I know. But it's so clear. It's so clear. It's so clear. And so sad. I mean, it is. And all the girls, the the ladies are just there like holding up signs. Have no idea. They have no clue. Oh, my gosh. I think one of them's holding up like a bag of booze, it looks like. Where? (laughs) Oh, the one on the very left, or maybe it's just a cardboard cutout. Oh yeah, I'm I think not it sure. is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like it does look like that. That's funny. <laughs> like the paper bag, like the yeah fifth of gin or whatever. Oh my gosh, yeah. Holy moly! These are two like very very intense stories. So yeah, they they feel huge. They feel like nationwide, like global stories. The fact that the party, it's the sounds of the people who all went on the Titanic the next day. And how the hell have we never heard about this place? I don't know. I I mean, I feel like this should be the number one most haunted place that everyone (laughs) talks about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's so big. I don't know. I also wonder, like, that whole street is probably haunted. We should go. That should be part of our, I mean, we can't drive there, obviously, but our, we could be, our road trip can also be flying. Well, we can fly somewhere and then start the road trip in that area. We'll start with a U.S. road trip. And then once it's so successful, we will go and do a UK. Yes. (laughs) I can't contain my excitement. (laughs) That would be the freaking best we'll go to all the jails all the old ruins all the old haunted pubs and then this place love it we'll stay in all the haunted houses or hotels all of them we'll find a haunted house i'm sure they they're marketed on airbnb yeah yeah they've got to be yeah wow (laughs) wow i'm just i still both of these are gonna leave these every once in a while we read a story that sticks with Uh us and i know that this is going to be one that i will always remember Mm mm-hmm I had to start this episode out with a uh, with a bang. That was a strong one. <laughs> what do you have? Okay, this is from Rachel. It is called Landline Ghost Calls. <gasps> oh no, I'm excited. <laughs> 
Hi, ladies. Before I get into it, I have to say a huge thank you for your podcast. It's so entertaining and interesting and funny. And even my four-year-old son has become a huge fan. He calls you the ghost girls oh. and always asks to listen to you. That's the best nickname ever. The ghost girls. That's so cute. <laughs> Here's a little backstory. My Nana, who I was very close to, passed away when I was nine years old. My brother and I, her only grandchildren, were told that she died from a heart attack. This is important for later. After she passed away, we started noticing the phone connecting to the landline in my mother's bedroom would ring anytime any of us were in or near the room. It was only a little chirp, not even a full ring, but it would happen once and then silence. My parents kept replacing the bedroom phone until they gave up and decided that it was the actual phone line. I keep seeing my reflection in the window and speaking to myself (laughs) because it's nighttime. I keep being like, there's a lady in here. It's It's you. I've done that before when it's late. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would be very scary because down. you're on. No, don't say anything. Oh, I thought you were going to like play out a scenario right now. No, I would just. No. (laughs) I'm home alone. I'm not. No, I'm just saying that would be even more terrifying because you're like, how many floors up? I'm glad it's you, if not actually. Yeah, many, many, yeah. many. Yeah, I would okay. burn the whole place down. <sighs> yeah, if someone was floating outside, yeah. like 40 stories. No out, thanks. No thanks. Okay. So my parents kept replacing the bedroom phone until they gave up and decided it was the actual phone line. Then it started happening to the other house phones, but again, only if we were nearby. About 10 years after my Nana died, my mom told us the truth. My Nana suffered from depression and had taken her own life. She left behind a note asking to wait until my brother and I were older to tell us what happened. After we found out the phone would not stop ringing. One day, my mom said, I think it's my mom letting us know that she's here. My back just got like really chilly. It was happening so often that my mom had to finally yell, Ma, stop. I get it. Oh my gosh. And the phone calls stopped for her, at least. Shortly after that, we moved. I brought a box of my Nana's old things into the new house. And as soon as I set them down, the phone at the new house did a familiar <gasps> chirp. I said, Hey, Nana, glad you're still oh. with me. And I did not hear the chirp for years. My brother and I had learned the truth, and we began to cope and heal, and I think my Nana kept an eye on us, but we were okay enough for her to not constantly let us know that she was around. Fast forward to a few weeks ago, it was a Thursday evening, and my husband was at work, both of my kids were asleep, and I'm in the kitchen cleaning. My papa was in surgery for hours that day, and my mom had texted me to let me know that he was out of surgery and doing well. As soon as I read her text, my landline phone chirped. Here's the kicker. The phone that chirped had been disconnected and dead for years. My husband disconnected it due to all of the annoying telemarketer phone calls. It's a portable phone, so it sits on our table, not even in the charger. And the charger hasn't been plugged in for literally two years now. But that's the phone that chirped. I immediately called my mom and told her that the phone had chirped. I started wondering what my Nana was trying to tell me. So I told my mom to double check that my papa was okay. And she assured me that he was. We hung up. And the phone in my living room chirped again and then again. And I said out loud, Nana, I love you, but I don't know what you're trying to say. And you're freaking me out. So you need to stop. And she stopped. A few days later, my papa was back in surgery because the original surgery did not work. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I believe that she was trying to tell me this, that something wasn't right and that he needed more help. Whoa. After I figured that out, I felt like this nagging feeling had disappeared. She was definitely watching out for him and letting me know that something was up. I know she tried to communicate with me because out of all the family members, I would be the only one that would understand that the phone call was her and that there was an important reason behind it. I do appreciate her warning, but my goodness, that was (laughs) one of the most intense paranormal experiences I've ever had. 
but at least I know for sure that it was her. Keep up the amazing work. See you on the other side, Rachel. Wow. I'm, this is amazing. Yes. The frequency, just how often this happened. And it was like, it started out with just a little chirp. It wasn't like a full ring. It wasn't like, hey, I want you to answer the phone. It was just like a, hey, we're here. And then it just kept happening only when they're around. And the fact that like, you know, there was no science that could solve this, that they had called people in to try to look at it and they determined it was just the phone line, which how does that happen? And it, no, right. it was Nana. I mean, yes. I mean, that's so that's I mean, the, any phone, it could literally be anything. We need landlines like, now. We, we do. But but does that even matter? Because Rachel's last experience, like the landline, nothing was even plugged in. This was a portable just like that's true popped down on the on the table, uncharged and untouched for years. Okay, well, we just need to get a landline that doesn't have to be set up to anything. Just, like, have it in your house and tell your past relatives to chirp on the phone. It's the ghost phone. It's the ghost phone. Oh, my gosh. It's the ghost's phone. If you need to talk, please use the telephone to get in touch with me. Please. That that That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, this really reminds me, I mean, a way more extended version of what my grandma had experienced. But when my pop-pop had passed away, my grandma, like, kept getting phone calls for days after he passed away. And it was always at the exact same time. And, like, every time she picked up, it was, like, static. And then, like, she finally realized it was, like, her number with the number seven in front of it. And we believe that it was my grandfather, like, calling her, like, every night after he passed away. But, like, for this, I mean, for Rachel's story, like, the way that her grandma was watching out over her dad's surgery and just, like, kept calling Mm -hmm. because something was wrong and knew it. Yeah, right. But then it's still – I feel like her her nana wanted her to know that something was wrong but knew that it wasn't going to be detrimental to her her papa because I don't believe that she would have stopped calling. If it was – I think she was just like, okay, I'm clearly, like, she's not getting exactly the message and I'm freaking her out. So I'm just going to let it be. Yeah. Wow. That is incredible. These are heavy. This this episode is heavy. The, I'm like, I don't know. There's something about today that I'm like, I mean, every day I'm all in for ghost stories, but I'm jazzed right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What's next? Okay. I have a story from our listener, Emily, and it's called Preschools, Wolves, Ghosts. Oh, my. Um, what? <laughs> That's all in the subject line. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. Hi, Sabrina and Corinne. Thank you for reading my stories about the paranormal. My name is Emily, and I have two stories to share with you. My first story is called Preschool Ghost Child? It was late May 2015, and I had been working as an assistant teacher at a preschool. It was a beautiful, sunny spring day in Minnesota, and not at all the environment for ghosts, or so I thought. It was around 1 p.m. and I was the only adult in the room with eight children. The lead teacher had just stepped out of the room. I was sitting on the ground near the children who were playing with toys. I was positioned in a way that I could easily see them all by just moving my head. They were individually working and playing respectfully, each focused on what was in front of them. And while speaking with one of the three-year-olds, another student, Allie, who had just turned five, came up to me looking confused. Now, Allie was a very focused and hardworking student, and her maturity was very impressive for her age. For the most part, Allie was logical, observant, and when she did choose to be imaginative, she would also be goofy and laugh at her made-up stories. So that's why when she approached me with a confused look on her face, I knew that what she was saying she believed to be true and that I needed to take her very seriously. 
She stood next to me and said, Miss Emily, there was a person. I noticed that she had been coloring on paper at her desk that was facing a window. I was confused by her statement and asked, can you show me? Thinking that perhaps she meant something she drew. I stood up and walked the six feet to her desk. I automatically looked outside and noticed a man mowing the neighbor's lawn about 100 feet away. I said, oh, did you see the man outside? Because surely this was the person she had seen and told me about. But instead of agreeing with me, Allie said, no, there was a person that walked up to me really, really fast and moved my papers like this. And then with her own hands, she wiped her drawing papers from the desk and onto the floor, showing me the action of this other person. In my head, I was making connections like, oh, it must have been one of the other students that was bothering Allie while she drew. Surely. But that assumption felt wrong. Allie knew all the names of the students in the room, so she wouldn't have said a person. She would have used their names. So whoever walked up to her moved her papers. She didn't know them. Just to double check, I asked, oh, did Alex do it? No, she said. I was trying to understand more. I asked, how tall was this person? And she responded by saying, he was between Milo's and Alex's height. Milo was three and Alex was four years old at the time. It sunk in that whoever Allie had seen, whatever person had walked up to her really, really fast and wiped her papers off the desk, was not one of the children in the room. Now, I wouldn't say Allie looked scared and I didn't feel negative energy at all myself, but I will not forget the look of confusion she had on her face. She too was trying to figure out how a person she had never seen before was there one moment and gone the next. I said something basic and probably not at all helpful to her, such as, oh, that's okay, I think you can start drawing again if you want to, and so she did. I sat back down in the spot where Allie first approached me, and a thought popped into my head. Just moments before Allie told me, Miss Emily, there was a person. I remember I had been sitting, glancing back and forth, child to child. During one of my scans, I registered seeing in peripheral a child who was wearing an all-black outfit walking from where Allie sat at the desk towards the other side of the room. Of course, my brain assumed it was one of the preschool students. But after my interaction with Allie, I scanned the room once more, now looking for someone who was wearing a all-black outfit, and no one was wearing dark colors, let alone a full outfit in black. So now I wonder if I too had seen the person Allie described without even knowing it in the moment. So I'm not sure if this was a spirit of a young child, But just the evening before, we hosted a preschool family festival where there were about 40 family members there socializing, the children were playing with one another and their siblings, and there were lots of fun, positive vibes all around. So I wonder if the festivities of the evening before created the space for an energy to visit, a spirit of a young child who wanted to play. For my second story, this is called Ghost Dreams. I moved into an old farmhouse in July of 2018. Attached to the farmhouse was an apartment. Basically, the whole building is a duplex, but the farmhouse was 80 years older than the apartment. Two women lived with me in the farmhouse, and two men lived in the apartment. My bedroom shared walls with the apartment in a way that my bedroom and my friend Jake's bedroom in the apartment fit together like Tetris pieces. Before I moved into the farmhouse, I heard rumors that the place was haunted. However, from July until December, nothing indicated that something paranormal was happening. So I just blocked that little but important detail out from memory. It was January that the dream started happening. The first dream, I was wandering around an old house, moving room to room, each filled with old furniture and what now would be considered antiques. I can lucid dream, especially in dreams that I'm in old houses. So my old house dreams usually lead to a paranormal encounter late in the dream. So I'm still exploring the house. My conscious self recognizes an energy of the paranormal. I eventually walk up steep steps to a room, maybe an attic perhaps, with a sloped ceiling. It is filled with even more boxes and furniture. Still dreaming, I move through a doorway and I sense a male presence. I sense and see a tall male figure just on the side of the doorway that I have to walk through. 
almost as if he is blocking my entrance. But I walk through the doorway. I eventually wake and don't think too much of the dream. The very next night, I had a horrific dream. I was walking through a neighborhood of tiny shack houses. Children and adults were running and screaming into their homes in hysteria. They were running from what seemed to be at least 20 rabid dogs. And I'm helping a young girl get into her home when a crazed dog jumps up to my face, its teeth ready to bite down. But with my own hands, I grab its neck and push it away before it could bite me. Now, I adore animals and awake me would never want to hurt an animal. So waking up from this dream, I felt so confused. I had just had a very aggressive dream and it was so incredibly vivid. Night three, I am holding a fish, walking around with them in my hands in my dream. They are all still alive, but they need water to live. So I was trying to find a well, a pond, or anything with water, and instead I found a fountain and I placed them in it. I remember the feeling of panic, trying to save their lives. One fish didn't survive, and ashamed, I placed it in bushes near a building. It was another dream of animals' panic and death. Before I describe the dream from my fourth night, here's some background. While living in the farmhouse, I was attending grad school and would babysit for professors and their families to earn some money. My professor, his wife, and their two daughters, who I babysat often, used to live in the apartment attached to the farmhouse. At this time, when I'm going to watch them, they live in their own home a few miles down the road. The dream from night four involves this family. So here it is. Night four, I am dreaming that I am with my professor's wife and their two daughters. We are walking along the edge of a forest. Behind us are big, thick, green tree tops, and we are moving towards an open meadow. Walking through the meadow, I see more trees and the edge of another forest up ahead. But I begin to see movement between the trees scattered in the meadow. Wolves. Their teeth grin into a snarl. They have spotted the mother and two girls. So I call to the family, over here, we need to hide. And we slide behind boulders. Just as we secure ourselves, more wolves emerge from the forest ahead, standing in lines. And in my dream, I had a thought like, wow, how warlike and aggressive it had all felt. The way the animals moved over the meadow, lurking and advancing with a desire to hunt and kill. Like it felt like I was on a battlefield, a war zone. With my professional background, I also know that wolves don't just stalk, attack, and kill people, especially unprovoked. In my dream, the beast of the wolves actually felt more like the beast of a man. I woke up from this dream and realized how the past three nights each involved animals' aggression and the feeling that I or others I was in the dream with were right on the edge of death. The next week, I had dreams each night, and in some form or another, not surprisingly, there were more dreams with animals and negative emotions occurring. Then, about two weeks after dreaming of the old house and the man in the doorway, I had the final dream to this saga. That night, I dreamt I was back in the haunted house. But instead of rooms filled with furniture and antiques, it was empty. Nothing and no one was in the rooms. And in the room where I sensed a male spirit, it was empty. There was nothing, no man, nothing. I stopped having dreams about animals and death after that final tour of the empty house. But if the dreams themselves weren't strange enough, about a month after the creepy dreams ended, I was at a hockey game with friends. Earlier that day, we had been talking about the paranormal, and I texted my professor to ask him about his ghost experiences while living in the apartment attached to the farmhouse. He messaged me back saying he personally hadn't had any experiences, but that he had heard from former students living in the farmhouse that they had seen a ghost of a Confederate soldier wearing a gray uniform standing in the upstairs room with a sloped ceiling. As I'm updating my friends at the hockey game about this interesting information, I started to get into my weird dreams the month prior. I was suggesting that maybe in my dreams the man in the attic had been a soldier and the aggressive animals, especially the wolves that made me feel like I was on a battleground, 
were a taste of what real war was like for the spirit. I was describing my dreams when Jake came back from the bathroom. He missed me describing all of my dreams. So I caught him up on the conversation by saying, I'm telling them about the weird dreams about animals I had a few weeks ago. He said, matter-of-factly, yeah, I had some weird dreams too, one with dogs acting crazy and another with a frozen wall of dead fish. I was shocked that he too had been dreaming about the same animals as I had been. I thought- That's so random. I know. I thought maybe he had overheard me telling the dreams and was just pulling my leg, but he was so serious about it all. And I asked him, when did you have these dreams? He said, about a month ago. And I said out loud more to myself than anyone else, me too. Now, remember, at this time, Jake and I had bedrooms that shared a wall. This could have all been coincidence, but if it was a paranormal experience, I wonder if the spirit's energy and message was strong enough to make us both have dreams about aggression and death. Well, thank you for reading these novels. I hope they make sense. I have more paranormal experiences, mostly dream hauntings, but I will leave this message with just these two. There's so much to learn from from others and their paranormal experiences. I love listening to your podcast. Best, Emily. (laughs) I mean, holy moly, just starting with this last experience. It's way too random of of animals and like what they're doing in the dreams for that to not for, for that to be just a coincidence yeah i mean it's one thing if she had just been having them herself like you know i think you could you know explain it away in other ways but the fact that the guy jake who had been sharing the wall with her was having the exact mm-hmm. same dreams and that it all started with this man up in the attic, which right. people have seen. Like, ha- they've seen his ghost up there. Yeah. What is the wall of fish? Like, I need that I don't to be know. explained. What, like, what, what is going on with this dude? Are these things that happened to him in this it's life? It's so random if it is. It is. It really is. But then also, it's like a very strange dream to implant into other people's minds. I know. And I'm really curious. A frozen wall of dead fish and and like wolves and dogs attacking. Attacking. Yeah. You. Yeah. I'm really curious if there's like photos of the old farmhouse, like when it, you know, in the olden days before it was renovated to be apartment living. Mm-hmm. And if she can look at them and see if they match what she saw in her dream. Cause she walked through the house and she saw the rooms and the old furniture and moved through it as it used to be. Right. Wasn't he wearing a, didn't she say, Confederate soldier? So she hadn't seen that, but she saw like the shadow. Oh, former former students had said that. Yeah, yeah. But at least maybe that could piece together like who it could be because it gives you a time frame. Did he own the house or did he just live in the house when they were at war? Was there a war that took place nearby? Like I wonder if they can find those woods that she dreamt of. Not that she necessarily would want to. I wouldn't want to, but. You know what I was just thinking about? I feel like there are so many upsides to thrifting, (laughs) but I think future ghosts, with how popular thrifting clothes are and upcycling, I feel like it's going to be hard to identify the eras of of (laughs) where people are from. Yeah. Because, like, everyone just wears a compilation of everything now. Yeah. There's no clear, like, oh, a Confederate soldier uniform. I'm going to start now that putting my name on all my tags. Someone else wears it. Your name and name and the date. Yeah, so that if anyone ever gets it from, like, you know, 50 years from now, they'll look me up. Oh, that would <gasps> actually be cool. What a cool story. Right? Look me up. If, like, I found a piece that had someone's name on it and I found them, but now they're, like, 95 years old and I connect to them. Yeah. In real life, not even be, their spirit. <laughs> that would be so cool. And then they're like, oh, shoot, my sister gave that away. That wasn't me. Can I have it back? That's mine. That's, mine. <laughs> That's the end of the Give me my sweater back. <laughs> <laughs> but Emily's first story as well, 
the fact that she also saw this child. Yeah, and didn't realize it until uh, – it's one of those things that makes me realize, like, or wonder how many people have seen something but not known it. Right, because if if you're amongst other people and you're expecting other people to be moving about, why would you ever kind of give a second glance right. to just like a shadow or a figure walking by? You you would just assume as you do your work, it's one of the 14 other people in the room with you. Yeah, I wonder – But at least there was that color – the in all black and no no other child was dressed that way so that she could it confirm yeah. essentially that that it was not yeah. a living child it makes me wonder if that kid's there often and it wasn't just a one-time thing but it, the kid is just there like for like quick little bleeps of time just just a sprinkle of bullying and then <laughs> i mean you papers everywhere. The, yeah. Allie said that like the kid came towards her really, really, really fast, which is also kind of scary. What if there's a group of ghost children that are in that school and they basically play truth or dare? <laughs> so like they're always around and no one can see them and they only make themselves present. Like I'm almost like I'm picturing like a Monsters, Inc. scenario mm. where it's like, I dare you to go through that door and, and shuffle her papers oh, and walk away. I and love it's like, that. Oh, okay. That's cute. And so they like <laughs> – they like make themselves present and like shuffle, shuffle really quick and run away. I want to be one of those ghost kids. Truth or dare, Sabrina? <laughs> will you go through the door? Yes, I will. Which door? You've aged out of being able to be a ghost kid in this life. You would be so cool. <laughs> this is so random. If I could just like transport myself into your into Boston and hang out with you right now while I'm still here. Like if I could astral project to where you are on your screen right now and be in the room with you. That would be so ideal. How cool would that I be? I want to do that too. Why don't – okay, can I make another goal <laughs> for like 2022? Yeah, we don't have enough. What if we actually like full-on try to astral project? <sighs> I'm scared. Okay, we don't have to do it. Maybe. We could just learn a lot about it and then make some decisions from there. Okay. This is called That Time Your Girl Trapped a Demon in a Box. Oh, <laughs> fun. Hi, spooky ladies. Let me tell you about some crackers-ass shit that happened <laughs> to me back in 2007. I would like to preface this by saying I am in no way religion, despite going to Catholic school for 10 years. So when I say demon in the story, I'm using it more as a catch-all archetype instead of a minion of a Christian Satan. So with that being said, I'll start telling you the story of that time we trapped a demon in a box. <laughs> So I grew up in a very, very small backwoods farming town situated in a valley surrounded by forest on all on all sides. You get bored on long summer nights when you're home from college. So when my friend Elle heard a story about a spooky graveyard in the middle of the woods, we were like, fuck it. Yeah, let's go. We got ominous directions, three lefts, turned right at the abandoned schoolhouse, you get the drift, and headed out to find it. It took a long time, but finally we managed to find the break in the trees that we were looking for. We parked the car and we hiked into the woods. About a mile in, we found a small 19th century graveyard, miles and miles from anything else man-made. It had this huge six-foot white marble cross in the center and maybe 30 graves total. There were four of us, Heather, which is me, your intrepid (laughs) host, my at-the-time girlfriend, Allie, and our friend, Elle, and our friend, Emma. We got up to the cross and we shined flashlights on it. Immediately, we realized it was covered in dead animals. (gasps) Some absolute psychopath had killed a fox and a couple of rabbits and had laid their bodies on the Oh my gosh. This sounds bad, and I'm not going to tell you that it isn't, but we heard about this place from a couple of hot topic (laughs) reject edge boards, so we assumed one of those idiots had left the animals there to freak out anybody from going ghost hunting. Oh my gosh. So we kept... (laughs) 
So we kept exploring, and after some scary noises in the woods, we all agreed to hike back to the car. We got back with no problem, and as we were pulling away, we saw a black shape start running after the car. We saw red eyes, but we assumed it was just our brake lights reflecting off the animal's eyes, and it was probably a bear. It, uh, wasn't. We tried to lose it, but it kept pace with us, even going 60 miles per hour. It did not drop away until we hit streetlights some 75 minutes later. (gasps) Chasing them for 75 minutes. 75 minutes. At 60 miles per hour. Can you imagine? No. No. There's like no – you can't stop to pee. There's no room for like – taking turns oh my god lightly and slowly and this is horrifying holy crap these are like back roads i hate this this is so scary she writes scary shit cool story right (laughs) (laughs) we get back to Allie's house and we hang for a bit her and i got into a volatile argument over something i don't remember and i stormed out to walk the 10 blocks back to my house it was around 2 30 a.m at this point i get about two blocks away and standing in some random neighbor's backyard about 10 feet from me is your classic demon. What? About seven feet, tallish horns, red eyes, the works. I stared at it for a second in shock and then started running back to Allie's house. I burst through the door, screaming my fool head off. They calmed me down, and when I described what I saw, they all thought of the red-eyed thing that had chased our car. Oh, my gosh. Well, what do you do now? If you're us, you go to the only thing open at 3 a.m. in a town that small, a 24-hour diner. We were regulars there on the night shift, and we just wanted to be around other people. Yeah. As soon as we sat down in the booth, the light went out above us with a loud pop. Stop it. Then the next light. Then the next. We moved booths thinking that it was a block of blown fuses or something, except the lights above the new booth blew out too. Then the lights in the whole section went out. Stop. When it was mostly dark, Elle thought to start taking pictures with her digital camera while the waitress tried to get the lights back on. This so feels like an episode of of a uh, my worst oh nightmare. My God, I don't know what Riverdale oh, is oh, what oh. I was gonna say. It's horrifying. It really is. Yeah. Oh my god. We looked at the photos while we waited, and there was a black mass behind me in every one, and and one you could clearly see a huge clawed hand in front of my face. As soon as we saw that picture, I screamed, and the lights in the entire restaurant went out. The cook was a squat, surly woman named Jenny, and she came out from the kitchen, pure screaming at us to get out. Confused, we stumbled outside, and as soon as I cleared the threshold to outside, all of the lights came back on. She asked what we had been doing that night and why I had a fucking demon in her restaurant. Turns out, Jenny could see it too. We told her where we'd been and what we'd done, and she cuffed us upside the head for not turning around at the sight of the animal sacrifice. Like, fair point, Jenny, but you don't have to hit me. (laughs) She told us to go home and salt the doorways, sleep all together in a pile, and meet her at her house after work at around 7 a.m. So we do. And she tells us what you've already gathered – I brought something evil back with me. But good news. She's a bit of a witch and she can help us get rid of it. But due to the need to gather materials and wait for the right moon phase, it was going to be a week before we could do anything. Oh my gosh. Fuck. A week with a demon. A week. That's like a fun uh, movie title. My week with a demon. TM, Sabrina. (laughs) It's yours now. (laughs) Or is it Heather's? 
It's others. This whole thing, she should just turn this yeah. into a pilot for a TV show. This is so great. Horrifying. So but. we all go back to our... Yes, horrifying, but awesome. So we all go back to our respective houses and try to move on. Later that night, I go to bed and I have a dream that a demon is beckoning me outside and I stand up out of my bed against my will and I start moving towards the window. Nope. I snap awake and I find that that's exactly what had happened. I'm standing at my second story window and I can see the entity crouched on top of my dad's truck looking just like a gargoyle. <gasps> oh, this is reminding me of Ed's story Ooh, on, on the campfire roof. stories of seeing the gargoyle thing Ugh. that flew away. Scary. I stumble back from the window and I grab my phone and I call Elle. She was the only one with the car at that point and she agreed to come spend the night with me. Balls of steel on that woman. <laughs> this is already too long, so I'll montage the rest of the week. Each night, one of my friends stayed with me to make sure that I didn't wander outside and get eaten by demons. Each night, something awful happened. Lights blowing out, scratching at the second story window, me sleepwalking to the window, terrible nightmares. And one time I felt a clawed hand slither out of my hair and <gasps> over my face. Oh. At the end of that horrible week, Jenny says she's all set. So we meet her at night by the river and she positions us into the cardinal points on a compass. She has a wooden box with a mirror inside and she does some ritual stuff that I don't clearly remember. And I start blacking out. I'm told that I started yelling that something was tearing me apart. Oh? Inevitably, she traps the entity into the mirror box and we get shovels and we bury that box deep in the ground. She gave me a lecture on the responsibility of being a paranormal lightning rod and how to ward myself from future hauntings, but cautioned that I wouldn't have an easy life. She was right. I never saw that entity again, and I hope the box is never found. She told us to never go back to that graveyard because she's not doing this shit again. <laughs> but I love Jenny. Same. But we were 19 and stupid, so of course we went back. No! But that's a story for another time. <gasps> hope you liked my story as much as I love your podcast. Also, it would mean a lot to me if Sabrina could give Leia extra pets for me as I lost both of my cats this year a few months apart. Oh. Hearing Leia's meowing in the background soothes the ache in my soul, and I thank her for it. Oh, Heather. I'm sorry, Heather. I will definitely now give she's Leia got some pets. angel kitties. I, this is horrifying. Heather, I need to know more. I can't believe you guys went back. I can't believe you lived with the demon for a week. My biggest question is why did it target Heather so heavily? I don't know. Maybe maybe it was targeting all of them and just the fact that Heather had, had wandered outside away from the group. It felt like it could latch onto her then yeah. when she was outside in that neighbor's yard and like somehow got a piece of her Ooh. in that moment. Heather's a fantastic writer. I've really yeah, enjoyed this. Yeah, this is a fun ride. I mean, a scary, scary, scary ride. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to have been reading in, not experiencing it because – Yikes. Yeah, yikes. Wow. Ah, I mean, the the claw, the feeling of the claw in the hand, just the whole thing. I mean, Jenny's a hero, right? Like, we're all on the same page here. Jenny's the MVP. Jenny is absolutely the MVP. And I just love that she's just like a cook at a 24-hour diner. She's just like doing her thing in her little small town, like probably goes home and does her her witchy business, leaves a peaceful life. And then these hooligan 19-year-old kids just – come into the diner all the lights are glowing and she looks out from from the back from the kitchen and it's like what the fuck there's a demon in the diner yeah demon in the diner there's another demon in the diner there's another book <laughs> the whole I feel series like we could just write a new a spin-off of the archie comics with heather yeah. demon in the diner wow i yeah i i'm almost speechless i need to know what has happened since then and what happened when heather went back because this place seems like it's in the middle of nowhere for a reason. It shouldn't be – people shouldn't be hanging out at it, the cemetery. Right. And the fact that there was this demon there that obviously didn't want them near and, like, chased them away. Well, I guess maybe it did want them near. Yeah. It was trying to coax yeah. them. 
But the fact that it chased them for so long and that it was present and that what was found in the graveyard was so disturbing, I like don't really believe that it was just these. I mean, I think Heather doesn't believe it either when she was like, oh, we just figured it was like, you know, the hot topic kids. No, the demon has clearly gathered together a group of people and is making them do stuff. And and this reminds me of Stranger Things when Billy, the older brother, gets like latched Gets got. Yeah. So here's my biggest thing with that is like clearly there's some dark people who are leaving offerings for the demon. Like why doesn't the demon possess Mm -hmm. them? Clearly they want to be possessed. Like why possess innocent people who are just like trying to go ghost hunting, you know? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a strategic move because if you get people who are otherwise like not presenting with any interest in demons or or whatever, maybe they're just maybe they just are like more unassuming and so you kind of can further your own agenda hmm. more. I don't know. I don't know, but here's one big here's one big question that is unanswered. Where's the box? (laughs) I don't think we want to know. It is buried deep beneath the ground. No one should ever know where that box is. Yeah, true. I just want to make sure that it's still underground. I believe Jenny knows what she's doing. Okay. Yeah, trust me. I think I need to believe that. We need to make those little bracelets that says, well, actually, we can just buy the what would Jesus do ones, (laughs) the WWJD, and say, what what would Jenny do? What would Jenny do? (laughs) What would Jenny do? (laughs) Wow. Okay, I have like a kind of nicer short one that I can... Great, let's do it. And then I have one that's about being possessed as well. So here we go. This is from our listener, Sarah, and it is called The Day You Saved My Life. Hey, ghoulish ghostesses and ghosts. Hope you're having a spooky day. First and foremost, I want to tell you ghouls that I am obsessed with your podcast. You guys keep me company on my commute to and from work. Which brings me to my not-so-spooky story, but rather unexplainable, strange, and lucky event, I would say. However, I do also have tons of crazy paranormal encounters, but I'll save those for another lengthy email. Okay, so here it goes. I, as I've mentioned before, have religiously started listening to your podcast on my commute. And well, although I've always joked about me going out in a car accident, I have been lucky enough to stay safe on the road. Me too, Sarah. (laughs) Why do I joke about this, you ask? Well, when I was 13 years old, I traveled to Mexico for a summer vacation, and my cousin took me to the local circus, and on our way out, there was a Canadian guy holding 10 envelopes and asked me to pick one and told me not to read it until I was ready for bed. In it was my future, and so far, a lot of things, and I mean a lot of what was written in there has happened to me. And one of the things written on there was how I would die, and at what age, and yes, it was in a car accident. I need to know more about that. What? I know. What age? Okay, I'll save that for another time, but let's fast forward to today. So this morning, and this is why I decided to write this today, because it tripped me the F out. So while I was driving to work and listening to you, I was exiting the freeway, and there was a construction site going on, and there was machinery that prevents you from seeing clearly if there are any cars coming from the intersecting street. So I was at the red light waiting to go when suddenly my volume on my phone goes completely mute. Something that has happened before, but on my old phone, and this one is brand new. So I looked at it and fumbled with the volume and had to restart the podcast because it somehow froze, and by this time, my light had turned green. When I looked up, a commercial trailer was running the intersecting red light, meaning that if I had gone the instant my light turned green, I would have gotten T-boned and dragged a few feet 
possibly resulting in a tragic accident. But because I was trying to get the volume to continue listening to your podcast, those few seconds, it held me back. And now here I am writing this email telling you that your podcast and my newborn obsession with it literally saved my life today. So there's that. Thanks for riding with me and keeping me company and see you on the other side, Sarah. I'm literally tearing up right now. Yeah. Our ghost is saving lives. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. That is so, so scary though to experience that, to know that that, to first of all, get that reading and then to see that it very likely would have been you if you hadn't delayed yourself two seconds. Uh, Yeah. I mean, this is another encounter with our podcast where it stops or it plays or it skips or or it like goes to a certain thing on purpose. Like it, Right. You're meant to turn your attention away from something to to replay it so that n- something bad doesn't happen. Our ghost wow. is a hero. Our ghost cares about you. Wow. I love our ghost. Guardian angel to all. Seriously. Sarah. I know. I love our ghost I need too. to know more about this envelope and what was in it. And do you still have it? Do you still have this piece of paper? And and I just want to know like the details of, of the age and has that age already passed? Was that age the same time that yeah. this truck was – Also, like, what else was written on it? Because she said that so many things have happened in her life that were on there. Right. Yeah. And how did – how do I acquire (laughs) one of these? You don't want one. I don't want the – I don't want the death and age part, but I want the other stuff. Yeah, but Sarah didn't have a choice. This guy was just like, here, take an envelope and don't open it until you're ready for bed. Like, she had no idea what she was getting herself into. I know. I know. That's so (laughs) – that's so creepy. Can you imagine, like, going home – 13 years old, too, going home with this envelope and being like, ooh, I wonder what's in this. It's probably, like, some, like, fun fortune or whatever, you know, like, nothing too wild. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're, like, ready for bed in your your sheets all warm and tucked in and you open this envelope and it's like – this is when and how you're going to die. So like, who is this guy in Mexico handing these envelopes out to these poor 13-year-old kids on summer vacation? I don't know. Why Why is he employed? <laughs> what if he's not even employed by the local circus and he just goes because he has this talent? Uh, this is – there's this audio on TikTok that has gone viral where it's this guy just like someone mashed it together and it's just like emotional trauma, <laughs> emotional trauma. And I feel like this is that. Yes. <laughs> This is is 100% that. Okay. This is from Paula. It is called The Owl Went Woo Woo. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure it's But I like saying woo woo. (laughs) The coyote went yippee yip yip. (laughs) I, wow. What a fun subject line. (laughs) Wait, no. Those are, those are morning doves. Never mind. I don't know. Are you a bird caller? Hello. (laughs) Is this a new thing I'm learning about you? Do what you were going to do. Do it. <laughs> Mom, I can't. Wait. Oh. Now I can't do it. Corinne. I don't know. You're a- That's just vibrating the spit in the back of my throat. Okay. I'm, I wouldn't I be surprised if all else. the doves come flying to your window right now. Come You're Cinderella. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hello, my ghostesses. I'm so sad. I tried to email this back in August, and then you did a hospital episode. But oh my goodness, ladies, I love you both, and I look forward to your podcast every week, especially since I binge listened to the podcast since 2019. You two are like my long-lost best friends that I've never Aww. met. Ha ha. So on to my encounter. Ladies, do I have a story for you? By the way, I type like I talk. Sorry. No, that's the best. No, that, we love that. My cousin bought tickets to an overnight ghost tour at Waverly Hills Sanatorium, and this past weekend was the weekend. Ah! 
Okay. So I drive down to pick her up and we're on our way. We get dinner and we get ready to go. And I'm so excited. Like we are smiling ear to ear. We drive up and it's dark, like a dark, dark. But the tour guides are at the front, scanning your tickets and showing you where to park. When you drive up, the building comes almost out of nowhere and it is massive. I'm like vibrating with excitement now. Oh my gosh. We park and then we grab our bags and we head inside. The first hour is the tour. The tour guides take you to each floor and tell you different stories and show you the hotspots. Our tour guide tells us about the creeper, the tall man, and the little boy, William, and his dog who were killed, and Lois. We see the death chute and the morgue, and it's so much to take in. And in the almost conference room, I felt something poke the top of my head. I was standing next to a coffin that had a pretty active ghost attached to it. After the tour, it's free reign until 6.30 a.m. So my cousin and I are exploring and going through the floors. It is so dark. I couldn't even see my cousin right next to me. Am I giving too many details? Okay, let me jump onto some of the things that I saw. We were on the second floor and my cousin was asking our tour guide about William and his dog. Her EMF went off and the tour guide said, I'll tell you about it another time because it seemed that William did not want his story discussed at that time. But they continued talking and I'm standing there on edge when all of a sudden I heard just behind me the sound of like shoes scuffing the cement. I turn quickly and I say, what the fuck was that? My cousin and the tour guide look at each other and the tour guide goes over the walkie-talkie and says, hey, is anyone on the right side stairwell? Pause. Yeah, we're here. Tour guide goes, did you hear screaming? They come back and no, no screaming and no other guests on this side. My cousin and the tour guide both heard screaming on the other side of the building, but what I heard was completely different and right behind me. What? Oh Oh my gosh. For the rest of... So creepy. It's so creepy for two people to be next to each other and have a paranormal experience, but those paranormal experiences look and sound so different. Yes. Like, it's like, what's controlling what you see and hear? Uh, Dark spirits. Knowing Waverly Hills, is it the creeper? The creeper. For the rest of the night, I felt like something or someone was picking on me. I saw shadow people. I heard EVPs. I felt pressure on top of my foot like a little kid was standing on my foot. So many experiences. It was crazy awesome, but the craziest part was towards the end. We were headed towards the surgery room on the third floor, and I could not for the life of me walk through the center hallway, so we had to take a breezeway every time. As we got closer to the side of the building where the surgery room was, there was something telling me not to go that way. My body said no. I was feeling nauseous, and I had full body chills. Oh my gosh. I was also wearing a sweatshirt in 70 degree weather. My cousin was sweating the entire time. I told my cousin, Em, I can't. Something's telling me not to go that way. Okay, fine. Where do you want to go? Let's go to the fifth floor where the kids are. I might feel better around them. Okay, let's go. So we head back to the breezeway. We go up the stairs only to find that those stairs do not go up to the fifth floor. Damn. So we're walking towards that side of the building again to get to the other stairwell to get to the fifth floor. And here comes the feeling. Full body chills. I am sick to my stomach and I'm forcing my body to move forward. Me. Emily, I really do not want to go that way. Something's telling me not to go this way. Emily, we have to, to get to the stairs. Ugh, okay. The feeling is getting worse now as we move forward. Emily, you flash your light that way and I'll look inwards for the stairwell. Oh my gosh. Okay. We made it. We get to the stairs. We go to the fifth floor and we are completely alone. Now Emily has the feeling and she says, we shouldn't be up here. So we head back downstairs and we need to be around other people. So now we're in the cafeteria. We're using our spirit box, asking random questions. Emily asks, What do you like to eat for breakfast? Spirit box. Static. Random words. Waffles. Clear as day. Oh. Emily, did you hear that? Me. Oh, yeah. Spirit box. Static. Where's Dave? Static. We had a tour guide named David there and another volunteer named Dave. Oh. (laughs) I love that. Where's Dave? (laughs) 
what, why are you girls running around without date? <laughs> so like I said before, something or someone was picking on me the whole night, the whole night. It was 70 degrees humid and your ghoul was in a sweater the whole night besides like an hour. That scuffing sound was right beside me. I found bruises later. And come to find out after the fact, Emily told me that multiple times during the night she would look towards me and there would be this shadow figure right behind me. She told me that she didn't want to tell me while we were there because she didn't want to scare me. What the fuck? She even got a picture of the shadow thing that was following me and I attached it below. Uh, No, there's a photo of it. Let me look. I'm actually scared. I don't really, really want scared to. Too. The photo is like up up at the window and it almost looks like if you're if you like look at the correct shadowing, it almost looks like Hatman. Oh, it kind of looks like the Grinch too. The Grinch. Okay. And Paula sent another email and I'm just going to read one of her stories from here as a nice little palette cleanser. Please. Oh, <laughs> that's good. Heard. I love that. Okay. I will never play with a Ouija board, but my cousins did and one of them decided to share their story with me. My cousin M and Tracy decided that one night they wanted to play with the Ouija board and their experience started off normal with them asking typical questions like, is anyone there? The board saying yes. Can you tell me your name? The board said June. My cousins at first could not pin the name, but ended up realizing that it was my grandma, June. (gasps) She passed away four months after I was born, but I'm named after her and my grandpa, Paul. They asked, Grandma June? The board says, yes. They ask, are you alone? The board says, no. They ask, is Grandpa Paul with you? The board says, yes. This is a relief we were not fond of. That's so funny. (laughs) They ask, what are you doing here? The board says, checking in. I can't remember what else they asked, but at this point, they decided that it was a good point to end and decided to say goodbye. But before they closed, my grandma says, lock the door. (gasps) They never found out what my grandma meant by this. And it's very, very scary to think about. (laughs) I hope they locked the door. I know. That's all for now. Stay spooky, ladies. Your phantom, Paula June. Whoa. Okay. I mean, one last warning before they leave, like lock your door. That's so, that's so intense. And also like feels like, you know, like when you're hanging up the phone and like someone has to say something really quick and like get the words out like before you, it feels like that. Like it almost feels like not only in that moment they want them to lock the door, but like moving forward throughout their lives, make sure they lock the door. Right. And it does feel, it feels, like you said, it feels so rushed, like, because their intention was to say goodbye. Yeah. So I assume that they were starting to move the planchette towards goodbye. And that the grandma was like, no, lock the door, which is so freaky. Like, what would have happened? I don't know. Night? I just imagine, like, I don't know. There are bad people out there. There are also good ones. And I acknowledge that. But, like, I just imagine, like, some person looking for trouble goes and, like, tries every front door to see if it's unlocked. Right. Or or you hear a few girls, like, giggling in a room. They sound young and you're oh. looking to see if you can find them. No, thank you. Them. Do not find any of them and go fall yeah. in a hole. I feel like this is a PSA for everyone to lock their doors. It blew my mind growing up, especially when my mom definitely has, like, extreme safety paranoia Mm -hmm. and everybody, like, locks their doors, shuts their doors. We have alarm systems always. Like, everything is always – nothing Nothing is ever unlocked, ever. It blew my mind how many people left their front doors open, their back doors open. Never. Their windows on the first floor open. Like, I honestly, probably 90% of Vermont is just open. 
I've gotten like in my older age, I've gotten way more cautious about it. Like Nick is at a work retreat right now. So I have the alarm on the entire day that I'm home and and also at night just in case. And then also whenever I go stay at my mom's house, I'm like, or even just like an Airbnb, I am the person who like checks the perimeters and locks the doors, make sure all the windows are closed before I go to bed. Yeah. Because I just, I'm scared. Well, I remember in college, the house that I lived at junior and senior year, which went by the nickname Colegio, there were seven of us that lived in that house. So technically in LA, that was a brothel. So I lived in a brothel. But I remember there was one time where there were actually a couple times where like the police were called because we thought that there was a break in. We truly thought someone had broken in. Oh my gosh. And I remember one time as we were like checking the perimeter because it felt like someone had broken in, you could see on my screen in my window fingerprints like someone had tried to oh my god i like remove the scream or like move the test of the window would push up nope 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 yeah nope yeah very very creepy so i hope that they uh locked the doors or that the doors were already locked for paula june's uh relative's sake and also paula june's uh pretty damn badass to do the whole overnight tour of waverly hills yeah i'm surprised by that especially like how her instincts were saying, run, flee, don't be here, let's leave. And she just kept going. Right. I know. Well, th- yeah. And then it kind of switched. It was like Paula, and but then also it was it was her cousin Emily as well. Like mm-hmm. they both had the feelings at certain points. I know. Points. But it was – it's hard because it's like – it sounded like she had the feeling in one certain hallway, one certain wing, and then they go to this other area where – where Paula thinks she'll be okay, but then Emily gets a bad feeling, and they're just, like, kind of being chased around by all these spirits. Yeah. Ugh. They should have just stayed in the cafeteria with the waffle-eating family <laughs> <of> Dave. <laughs> that does sound nice. Yeah, he seemed cool. Okay. I have a story, as promised, called, I Got Possessed. <laughs> and it's from our listener, Coda. Hey, girls. I have sent y'all so many stories in the past, but that was nothing compared to the stuff that I now deal with that I'm a medium. Before I write the story, I'd like to mention a trigger warning for suicide and mention of sexual assault. Full disclosure, my best friend and I are mediums. We'll call her Emma and our boyfriends who we met a month ago on a hunt for the demon in my house don't identify as mediums, but are very in touch with these things. They deal with the more physical aspects of the supernatural world, like witches, wendigos, demons, etc. While we deal with the more spiritual aspect of the spectrum. So, this is the story of the time that I pretty much got possessed. There is an evil spirit that we like to call the black figure that resides in Emma's house. This is actually the spirit that kickstarted my gift as a medium. And after my boyfriend, who we will call Ethan, came to the house and stood up to it, this demon seemed to disappear. One weekend, my boyfriend and I got a call from Emma and her boyfriend, who we will call Luke, in a panic saying that the black figure was hurting Emma. Upon hearing this, Ethan and I rushed the 45-minute drive to them so that we could help out. When we got there, Emma was uncomfortably sitting on a bench with her head resting in her arms on the table in her garage. When we asked Luke what was going Going on, he said, I have no idea. She just said it felt like all of her energy was being drained. I glanced over and saw that their used tarot decks were on the table. Ethan and I assumed that someone did something to piss it off or maybe pushed it with the communication, which caused him to attack. As soon as I walked into the garage, I could feel the off-putting energy. We happened to have a friend in the room who had a Bible on hand, and I figured if someone is going to exercise her, thinking of the worst possible scenario at the time, 
It's going to be me because of my religious background. So I grabbed the Bible and just put my hand on it. Luke suddenly became increasingly uncomfortable with being in the same room as me and left the garage to go sit in the driveway, where Emma followed. Ethan went outside and helped Luke to calm down while I was in the garage alone. After everyone was calmed down, we seemed to have a fun and normal rest of the night. My boyfriend and I left later the next morning. We have a group chat between the four of us, which started out as a funny and friendly group chat that later turned into more of a place to discuss the supernatural thing. We were all talking in the chat when Luke said he wanted to be honest about something. He told the group that ever since the spirit attached itself to him, he wasn't able to stand me like he used to, which we said made sense because I threatened it multiple times with the Bible. It ended up breaking into an argument because my boyfriend was trying to defend me and Emma was trying to play the middleman, which only made things worse. The whole situation ended with Luke texting me individually to apologize only to tell me, even the small things you do irritate me beyond belief. I was talking to my boyfriend about it and we decided that the black figure was trying to break us up, so I dropped it because Luke did tell us that those thoughts weren't his. That night when I was calling my boyfriend and trying to sleep, which we do every night, I got an extremely bad feeling. It was bothering me so much that I had to wake up my boyfriend to talk me through it. After he talked me down, I figured out that this was more of a spiritual threat and I kept getting the vision that I would wake up to a dark figure standing at the edge of my bed. After talking for an hour or so, I somehow managed to fall asleep. In the morning, I woke up and immediately had to run to the bathroom, which this part might be a bit TMI, but I had the runs. I threw up had a pulsing headache, and my whole body was violently shaking. Now looking back at it, it seemed like my body was rejecting something. Super creepy and gross. I immediately texted my boyfriend when he told me he had a terrible stomach ache ever since he woke up as well. I believe that in the supernatural world, there are no such things as coincidence. So I called our friends from the group chat. They told me that they did some tarot cardings, and well, it explained a lot. After communicating with the entity, they found out that it had jumped from Luke to me and Ethan. And after some meditation and some readings of my own, I found out that this thing had been draining energy from me in order to get more powerful after my friends pissed it off. I got more and more tired as the day went on. My boyfriend became increasingly concerned, so we agreed that if this continued, we would meet up with the other couple that weekend and take care of the problem. That night, my boyfriend and I were on the phone, like we always do, and I got into this really bad depressive episode. I have anxiety and depression, so this is not out of the ordinary, but it was extremely bad. I haven't had a depressive episode of this level since I was a freshman in high school, which was about five years ago. Every bad thought I could have was coming up. I missed my boyfriend. We were long distance. I was still healing from sexual assault from my best friend's brother that happened just a month ago, etc. I just sat with my boyfriend for a while crying. After a bit, I just felt nothing. I felt completely numb. And it brought back memories from my first suicide attempt about six years ago, and I did not enjoy the rush of suppressed memories. My boyfriend got too concerned and decided to make the three-hour drive to my house a few days early to be with me. He called me on his drive up so he didn't fall asleep. The last thing I remembered was looking at a pill bottle contemplating ending my life. And after that, I blacked out. I don't remember what I said to my boyfriend, and we've never talked about it. I've never gotten that block of missing memory back, and when I came out of it, it felt like waking up from a sleep. Fast forward to the end of his stay at my house. Everyone in the house was gone. I live with my grandparents, and my boyfriend and I were trying to take part in the devil's tango. 
LOL. <laughs> All of a sudden, we started to hear bangs from inside the house. My boyfriend took out his knife and did a quick sweep of the house to make sure it wasn't a physical threat. After eliminating that option, I went outside to see if it was one of the neighbors, but the sound went away once I was outside. I came back inside and it was quiet. We went back to my room to try to start where we left off, but there were more bangs. It sounded like someone was banging on my door. We couldn't ignore the sound to stay in the moment, so we decided to just try it another time. My boyfriend packed up his stuff and was about to head out when the noises got louder. It sounded like someone was banging on the garage door leading into the house. My boyfriend refused to leave until my grandparents got home. Smart man. When they got home, my boyfriend took me to my room to check on me privately. I was still super drained and was having a hard time standing up because I was so drained of energy. He sat me down on my bed, put his hand on my chest, and tried to feel for anything attached to me. While he was doing this, I got so dizzy I almost fell off the bed because I was swaying back and forth so hard. He decided to be civil with the entity and apologized for trying to get it out of Emma's house in the first place, but that it needed to leave he and I alone. After this, I felt a weight lift off my shoulders and the house felt clear again. After this incident, my boyfriend and I saged the house, and I've never been so thorough with my saging before, but I also had never had an incident with this thing again. I'll be sure to update y'all if it ever comes back. I would love for you to share this story on the podcast because one, it would be a dream come true, but two, because it's important to know when to stop and not to piss anything off. It's also important to know that once you open yourself up to this world, there is no going back and you are never safe. I got an evil spirit attached to me even though I didn't do anything to piss it off myself. So just be careful. Thank you for reading my story, girls. I will see you on the other side. Coda. Woo. Oh my gosh, Coda. I'm so sorry you had to go through all of that. That sounds so draining in every single way. And I'm glad you came out of it and are feeling a lot better now. But holy crap. The fact that this this entity was had such a hold on Coda and everybody in Coda's life. Like even even almost taking hold of like the boyfriend. Yeah. And how he behaved and interacted with Coda. I mean, it's just wild that like they thought they had banished it and it disappeared for a while and then all of a sudden it came back and it came back with a vengeance. And it kind of affected every single person in that group of four people that they're all friends with. Like it went from her friend's boyfriend or no, it went from Emma to then her friend's boyfriend and then to her to Dakota and her boyfriend. Like it just jumped right. around all four of them. Because it was originally at Emma's yeah. house, right? That this is this is again, this is another pilot television show because the this demon is just like jumping from person to person. I I'm interested in in what exactly happens for it to continue its leap and why it doesn't just fully latch on forever to one person, you know? Yeah. Like it doesn't just buckle down like a traditional demon. This thing is like leaving people in pieces and then it's like, okay, that was enough torture on to the next. I, yeah. I'm just like, oh, I just hate demons. I just hate them. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And this is like a great example of why they're so horrible because it, it goes so much further than just a scratch marks on, on your back. Yeah. It's, it's inside your mind. It's affecting everybody and your relationships with them. And the way that it can like weaken you. And I mean, the way Coda explained like feeling the deepest depression she's felt in years and it was like bringing yeah. back all these terrible memories and it was just getting stronger and stronger. <sighs> it reminds me a little bit of the television version of A Haunting in Connecticut where they had done like a, a remake prior to the actual, you know, like movie movie that came out. And the the Haunting in Connecticut, I just remember these scenes of, I think it was that one, where the teen boy was just in this like depressive slump because he was essentially getting drained by this demon in the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. Okay. Well, for us to end, I have a story from Anthony, and this is called Beach Ghost. 
Ooh. Ciao, Gostarinas. <laughs> I recently learned about your podcast from my friend who told me about it after you read her cousin's story on here, and I was immediately obsessed. I've always been immensely interested in the world of the strange and unusual, paranormal, and anything spooktastic. I'm excited to share this story with you, not only because I've been getting into the spirit <laughs> this Halloween season, but because it's about the first time I ever saw an actual apparition. I say first because I do have some more minor encounters aside from this one, which I would be more than happy to share in future emails. I suppose I've inherited this interest in the supernatural from my mom, who has always taught us to be wary of the spirit world and to teach such phenomena with caution and respect. My mom to this day has been adamant about no Ouija boards. She's very against them and with good reason. Ouija danger, like stranger danger. I don't know. She she had her own (laughs) frightening story involving a Ouija board. I like how... He makes a joke and then he's like, I eh, backed out of it. Like, yeah, forget it. <laughs> but it's still there for us. So that's great. It's still there. I like it. It's funny. She had her own frightening story involving a Ouija board when she was in her 20s babysitting her much younger sister. They are 13 years apart and her friends. In this scenario, they were asking silly questions and were actually getting answers, but it was little kid stuff like, what grade will I get on my test? Does so-and-so like me? Etc. When my mom decided to ask who is giving us these answers, the board wrote out Beelzebub, which, no. if you don't know, is apparently another ancient name for the devil. No. So she was sure none of these girls could have known this word or would manipulate the board to say that. That scared her so much that she never touched one again and has always warned us not to mess with them and especially never use them in the house. Eek. Like I said, I have a bunch of experiences to share, but today I have one of my favorite ghost stories to tell. And yes, it does involve a Ouija board. Womp. My first ghostly encounter happened when I was about high school aged. I'm from Long Island, New York. By the way, mischief night is totally a thing. And I was spending a weekend out east where my family has a beach house. My dad grew up in Brooklyn, but spent many of his early childhood summers in this house in a neighborhood in Southampton. In fact, this particular neighborhood was developed by my dad's uncle and his business partner back in the early 1930s. That's so cool. Yeah. Many of the houses there have since been updated or modernized now from their original quaint designs of sleepy beach cottage style in the early development. But some of them remain the same salt box style of that time. Nothing weird has ever happened in our house, thank God, but there is a very creepy house down the block that always has piqued our interest. That is where this story takes place. The house is in a beachside neighborhood on the bay, and this particular street is a dead-end street with water on both sides. The houses on one side of the road are right in the bay, meaning their backyard is basically the beach. It's a really pretty area with a quiet coastal vibe, and many of many, if not most, of the houses have since been updated and remodeled. However, this is one of those houses that looks frozen in time from when it was built. So to see this eerily abandoned house juxtaposed on the street that has quite a few modern-looking houses is a strange sight in and of itself. It looks like your classic stereotypical haunted house, abandoned, dilapidated, overgrown with weeds. If you're standing in front of the house from the street, you can actually see the beach straight through the front and back windows. That's how empty it is. As kids, my cousins and I were obviously drawn to this airy house, and we would dare each other to go up to the windows and check it out. You know, kid stuff. Kid stuff? But I still do that. Yeah. Like, someone else look in the window. You go up and look in the window. (laughs) Since my dad knew the area well, we asked him about it one time. And to our shock, he said that this house 
was the one that he used to go to growing up. We obviously asked him more about the house, hoping to get some sort of story out of him, but he said he was really young and he doesn't remember anything too strange about it, just a normal house hours away out in the country to a kid from Brooklyn. I must also mention that my dad was a classic skeptic of anything paranormal, being an engineer by trade and very science and logic oriented. He couldn't give us the tea that we'd hoped for. (laughs) So what did we as preteens do to find out the deets? We turned to the good old Ouija board. Oh, no. So like a good suburban kid, I went to Toys R Us and I bought a Ouija board (laughs) to bring out the next time my family went out there for the weekend. Like I said, my mom hates them. So my three cousins and I waited for a chance when my mom was out running an errand. We opened up the board on the table and we started asking if there was anyone still living in the abandoned house down the block. After a few minutes, the planchette found its bearings and the board started to speak. We asked again, is there anyone who lives in the abandoned house down the block? It said, yes. We asked, what was their name? It spelled out Rachel Smith. We asked, is she dead? It said, yes. We started to get excited and we continued, how did she die? And it spelled out mother. We all looked at each other now because this was weird and a very distressing response. Next, we asked, how? And this was the weirdest answer. It wrote, pencil. Legit, what the F? We were definitely weirded out, and this didn't make sense. We were definitely weirded out, and this didn't seem to make sense, so we immediately stopped, and we started asking each other who was messing with the board. But everyone swore that they weren't. We were all on edge, and we couldn't stop talking about it, so we decided to go check the house out again. I mean, how could we not after such a strange Ouija session? So I went with my brother, Andy, and two of my cousins, Sarah and Nikki. It was late afternoon, and the sun was making its descent. I'll never forget this. The walk to the house was probably five minutes, and when we got there, Sarah and I took the backyard, and Nikki and Andy took the front. As usual, there were no cars or signs of people inhabiting the house, so we were safe from any onlookers. There's a small footpath that connects the road to the beach, which is behind the house as a public access path, so Sarah and I took this little path on the side of the house to get to the backyard. Once back there, we approached the house and had to stomp through this thick, overgrown weeds and beach grass. Mind you, We'd never really gotten this close to the house before, so to say that we were getting a little spooked would be an understatement. Also, we were totally trespassing, which comes with its own creepy feelings, (laughs) but the neighborhood is very quiet, and we probably weren't being watched by anyone living, so arms up in indifference emoji. (laughs) There was a small wooden stoop that led to the back door that was centered in the middle of the backside face of the house, and on either sides of the door were two large windows facing out towards the beach behind us and above them, two more parallel windows on the second floor. Sarah and I just started scanning the whole backside of the house for what felt like minutes, but was probably seconds. And I could tell that we were wordlessly trying to decide if we were going to be brave enough to attempt to enter, when suddenly I saw it. I distinctly remember looking up at the upper left window when the image of a woman slowly started appearing from the waist up, as if standing just behind the window, materializing upward from behind the windowsill. She had this purple dress with white lace detailing down the middle, like a corset, but not. Almost Victorian looking. Her arms were at her side, and as if her hands were almost clasped together under the windowsill, and her face appeared, old and sullen, gaunt, almost skeletal. And then her bonnet covered her white hair, which matched her dress. And she was staring right down at us, expressionless. The whole image took probably two seconds to materialize, but it felt like two minutes. And then without saying a word to each other, Sarah and I bolt in unison out of the backyard, through the dune grass, down to the beach, back to our house. And we didn't stop once until we got back when finally, gasping between breaths, we mustered up. You saw her, right? You saw that too? And Sarah and I had seen the same exact woman appear at the same time. 
Andy and Nikki must have seen or heard us running back because they got back not long after. And when we asked if they saw her too, they were like, what are you talking about? And we explained it and they did not know what to think. I know what we saw. It was not a trick of the light or some person or object in the house because like I said, the house was virtually empty of everything. There was no car and the sun was setting from behind us, which cast the whole house in this bright orange glow. So it practically lit this figure up. There should be a long German word for the feeling that you get when the world turns upside down, seeing something that shatters your understanding of the physical laws of the universe, (laughs) because you never forget that moment. This should not have happened, and yet it did. I've since Googled as much as I could about Rachel Smith in the area, but I'm never able to find anything. I'm not too surprised because her clothes seemed old enough to be from a time before modern record keeping would allow, and Southampton is one of the county's oldest settlements. It goes back to the 1600s, so again, could be like really old. I wish I had more answers for you, but I don't. However, I was out there recently and I had this story in my mind. So I took a picture to attach to this email to show you guys the house. It looks the same as it did back then. Anyway, that's my story. I'll be sure to think of others that I have as I have tons of more little weird encounters, but this was the most full figured apparition I've seen. Love you guys. Keep the spooky times rolling and see you on the other side. Peace. Anthony. Is this the photo of the house? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm zooming in. Where's the lady? She's definitely not going to yeah. be in here, but what if she was? I'd poop oh, myself. That would be scary. I'm just so... I, don't, I want to zoom out. I'm scared I'm, now. I'm I, I looked. I, I didn't see anything on a, on a zoom. Okay. I'm My biggest surprise of this whole story is that they used a Ouija board in their own house and that a ghost was able to tell them the story about a different house. Like, usually you go to the place that you want to learn more about and you do the Ouija board there and then you get like the ghost there telling you. But there's clearly someone in that group who has like a spirit guide or someone who's like communicating with them and is like, hey, yeah, I'll tell you the information you're asking about this house that's however far away. Or was it the lady – because I'm just thinking about like mediums who, you know, they don't have to be in the house or the space where the person like passed or whatever. Yeah, They can just with the, with the strong enough intention channel in – the spirit. And I wonder if all of them just like willed for this information so much mm. that it was just like a beacon of light shining to that that woman in the house. And she was like, okay, I'll tell you about myself. Yeah, I guess so. Because they, they were asking questions like about the house, but it could have been her. I wonder if they asked like – It could have been Yeah, her. it's interesting that they were just talking to a spirit and getting all this information. I wonder if they asked who they were talking to at that moment. I Yeah, that's a good question because <laughs> <laughs> it was just about like, who lives there? Rachel Smith. It wasn't like I yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> well, who are you? Rachel Smith. Interesting. So interesting. And also like – so Anthony's dad grew up going to this house. This was the house that they went to. And their relatives are the ones that essentially like built this whole neighborhood. So I'm really curious as to how this house kind of like fell out of their possession. Like, Why weren't they going there anymore? Yeah, I don't know. Why did Anthony's dad stop going there and started going to a different house? Who owns this house? Why is it in in the condition that it's in? Well, I don't I think that they were staying in the front house, access. right? They weren't staying in the house. It was just like... They used to like go visit that house the same way that they were currently. Oh, I, that's how oh, I interpreted I thought, it. You're probably right. Well, yeah, you're probably right. I was just thinking when they were like, I don't know, regular old house. I was thinking that like someone lived there oh. that he was visiting. Especially with how like decrepit and dilapidated it is. I imagine that it's been like that for a very long time. Someone sell me this house. Who owns this? Someone has to. Property. Right? I will take it. Give it to me. I'll rebuild it. I'll give Rachel her own room. Yeah. You and Rachel living together, BFF. We will live in harmony. Her and her cute little bonnet. Me and with my her bikini. Old sullen sunken face. Yep. Me and my plump one. We're just yin and yang, you know? <laughs> I think we'd get along. <laughs> Fine, do a podcast with her then.
Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I take it all back. No, she can Every join our ghost. We'll have it's two girls, many ghosts instead of one ghost. Many ghosts. Hey, what if our ghost falls in love with her? What if that oh is the love my story gosh. we've all been waiting for? Sven and Rachel. Sven and Rachel. Sven out here saving people's lives. Rachel's just looking out the window, waiting for her long oh lost lover gosh. Sven to return from okay. sea. This is a beautiful love story. I can see it. I'm here for it. Into it. Well, well. Everyone, please send us your ghost stories. We love, 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 love reading them, and it's the best. So email them to us at twogirlsmyghostpodcast at gmail.com. Go and rate and review us on iTunes because, you know, that makes my heart happy. And you can follow us on social media. We have TikTok. We have Instagram. We have a Facebook group, Twitter, the whole nine yards. Thank you so much to Aiden Manning and the entire team at Upfire Digital. We're so, so grateful for your editing expertise. And we will see you on the other side. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, Corinne. See you on the other side. Two girls, one ghost. Very spooky. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.